Good job, guys. Thank you so much. This morning, we have pledged allegiance to two different kingdoms represented on the my right and my left by the two flags, the American flag and the Christian flag. One is, one represents an earthly and temporal kingdom. The other represents a heavenly and eternal kingdom. We've enjoyed this beautiful music. We've enjoyed um, uh, remembering and honoring those who have served um, in our armed forces. Um, there is so much about America um, that we uh, truly uh, should be grateful for, and um, uh, we're, we're just blessed as a nation in so many uh, different ways, and we could just go on all morning talking about all of the many blessings um, that we enjoy as citizens of that of this country. But we come to the part of our service when we want to concentrate on not this earthly kingdom, not this country that we love so dear called America, but we want to concentrate on the eternal kingdom. Of God, and specifically the kingdom um, as we understand it at this point in time, and that is the church. Use this one. All right, we're on. We're oh boy, and I was just getting ready to talk about how we're out of power, and you just. You just worked that one great, or somebody did, Wayne. Um, you know, the best thing about America is, um, the best thing that I would say um, for America is a strong church. A church with more and more of our citizens becoming and living as citizens of the eternal kingdom of God. However... You and I both know that you don't have to travel far to understand today that it seems like the overall condition of the church in America is stagnant. It seems that with the exception of a few churches that God is no longer working in a powerful way in our midst. Don't get me wrong. There are a number of positives. For instance, small groups are flourishing. The winds of worship are blowing with increasing fervor. Christians are becoming more active in the public arena. They're more vocal about their beliefs. So there are things that are encouraging. But when you look deeper, beyond the facade of religiosity, or the flurry of religious activity, if you look beyond the nice, expensive facilities, there is a gap, in many cases a chasm, between what the church is and what it ought to be. There's a disparity between what Christians say and what we do, between what we know 
and how we should live, between what we promise and how much we fulfill. Preachers teach the Bible and people snore. Lay people share their faith and it falls on deaf ears. Lives get broken but are rarely fixed. Bodies get sick or injured yet few are healed. Marriages are dying and people just give up rather than trying to work things out. Temptations are faced and sin flourishes. The poor are hungry and stay that way. Friend, I don't mean to sound overly pessimistic. There are some who think we're doing fine. But most of the people that I know, most of the pastors and a lot of the lay people that I run into concede the church's minimal impact on the spirituality of its members and its minimal influence on society at large. So what's wrong? What's the problem? Why is the church seemingly so weak today? And why does the church seem to have little or no impact upon society? I believe that the problem, at least in part, is power, or should I say the absence of it. My conclusion is this. The real problem in our churches and in our culture today won't be solved with um, short of an infusion of power, uh, spiritual power, uh, the kind that brains and budgets and buildings and bodies cannot produce and the kind of power that can only come through the Holy Spirit of God. Friend, the church today desperately needs the power of her Lord and the energy and the activity of the Holy Spirit. As cynical as I sound, I'm actually hopeful For I've read the book of Acts, and I know what God can do through his people. If his people will do what God has said to do in his word. I've noticed in the lives of those early believers something I believe is no less available to us today in America in 2018. There is something that links us to the success of the early church, and it holds forth hope that we can and will emerge from our spiritual lethargy. I'm talking about the subject that we've been on for several weeks, and that is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, or the charismata that God has given to us, are God's answer to the human question, why can't we do that? Why can't we have greater impact on society? Why can't we be more impactful on the kingdom of God? We see demonstrations of God's power. We see little bits of it here and there. But can you imagine what could take place in this one church alone when all of God's people realize 
the gift that God has given to each one of us, we discover that gift and then we individually and together begin to use those gifts together for the glory of God. When we've said that spiritual gifts may divide between two major divisions or categories. We've talked about the foundational gifts, those gifts that lay the foundation and build the structure of the church. And we talked about the functional gifts. These are the foundational gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, and the gift of tongues and interpretation, which we're going to talk about this morning. Then you have the functional gifts, those gifts employed to help the church function effectively. There are 15 of those, evangelism, pastor-teacher, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, discernment, administration, and hospitality. Now, before I go any further, I just want to let you know, many of you have asked, See what happens when you don't have any power? You can't be heard. Many of you have asked me about these gifts that we've been going over, and would I put together a list of all the gifts and the definitions that we've looked at and the questions to ask to, to stir an interest in your own heart as to whether you might have a particular gift or not. I've done that. Um, uh, we've put together this um, uh, uh, work uh, understanding spiritual gifts. I was going to have them up here. We actually were going to put them in your bulletins. And I said to Joanne, I said, no, let's don't do that. They'll be reading that while I'm trying to preach to them. <clears throat> so if you want this, and it's all of the gifts we've talked about, and it also has um, a section in the back on how to discover your spiritual gift, which we're going to talk about at the end of this message. More, they'll, they'll be out there at the desk in the commons area. Don't worry, if they run out, we will get you one. If you will let us know, we will make sure you get a copy of this. So um, uh, that'll be there um, for take, on your way out to lunch this afternoon. You can just pick one up there um, at the desk. Here's what I want you to understand. As we've been talking about, what I want you to take away from this last message on spiritual gifts is that God gives every one of us, every Christian, a spiritual gift to use in the ministry of his church. So this morning, I want to continue uh, talking about the list. And this gift actually is the last of the foundational gifts, and I'm talking about the gifts of tongues and interpretation. Now, I know many of you have been waiting just to hear um, uh, what um, uh, was to be said about this particular gift. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll look where Paul brings up this gift of tongues and interpretation. Paul says there, he, sa he says to another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, as you can imagine, this is the most controversial of all the spiritual gifts. The gift of tongues is really two different gifts. You've got the gift, the ability to speak in tongues, and then the ability to interpret tongues. This, the purpose of the speaking was twofold. Um, it was for the proclamation of the uh, good news of salvation in Christ, 
to those who otherwise could not understand. And secondly, it was to authenticate the gospel messenger who was relaying the message of the good news. So two lines of argument are established this as the meaning of the gift. First, it, take your Bible and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. Paul is arguing here in 1 Corinthians 14 that the law, and that whole chapter of 14 is a good explanation on um, uh, the gift of tongues and interpretation. But Paul argued that the law contained the prophecy that God would speak to his people. Look at this. Look in verse 21. With strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners. Now that's a quotation of Isaiah chapter 28 verse 11 which refers to the act, use of actual existing languages. The second line of argumentation derives from the initial use of tongues on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, where um, when this miracle occurred, those people that were gathered in that moment, um, according to verse 6 of Acts chapter 2, they were bewildered because each one of these pagan groups who had found their way to Jerusalem, each one of these groups were listening or hearing the gospel being proclaimed in their own native tongue because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Then in verse 8, they further expressed their amazement by saying, we hear each of us in his own native language. And again, look in verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That the gift of tongues or an interpretation is a reference to the use of a previously unknown language to the speaker for the purpose of communicating the gospel and authenticating uh, that messenger's um, message seems irrefutable. Um, the interpretation of tongues was for the benefit of those who were there. And uh, you, uh, now you've got the uh, person speaking in that foreign tongue, which a few of the people uh, could understand because it was meant for them. You've got the guy uh, interpreting to the wider group who's standing around watching this and observing this. He's interpreting, and neither the messenger or the interpreter knew that language prior to this occurrence. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, empowers them, enables the messenger to speak this foreign language to these particular folks from that particular area where this language is known and communicated. And for the whole group that's gathered around who's a not a part of that group, the interpreter then communicates what is being said to that smaller group in their language. The interpreter is communicating to the wider audience what he's saying to them. That's what the gift of tongues and interpretation was meant for those early believers. Um, so let me give you a definition of this gift. 
The gift of tongues is the supernatural ability to speak or interpret various known languages which one has never studied. For it be like it'd be like me getting up here this morning who's never spoken Russian in his life. And all of a sudden I just start talking if you if I or let's say I, I'm on a mission trip uh, to Russia and I've been invited by the Russian pastor of the church to speak to the group and instead of using an interpreter, I just start talking Russian to them. That's what was going on. And then the interpreter is there to help everyone understand. Let's say there were people with me and my group who didn't speak Russian, who only spoke English. The interpreter is there to help the people in my group understand the Russian that is being communicated. So there's the definition. The gift of tongues is a supernatural ability to speak or interpret various known languages, which one has never studied for the purpose of communicating the gospel and authenticating, authenticating the gospel message. Now, while I'm not willing to say emphatically, because I don't believe you can say it emphatically, I do believe wholeheartedly that God, um, while, I, while I won't say emphatically that God cannot give this gift, of tongues and interpretation today if it were necessary. The first century need for the authentication of the gospel has passed. And with it, with its passing, the occurrence for such a phenomenon is significantly reduced, if not altogether absent in our day. So, I don't have any questions for you to ask considering this gift because I personally happen to believe this is one of the foundational gifts and is no longer applicable to the church today. However, it was an important gift in the early church for communicating the gospel to people who did not know the language of the apostles. They could hear the message in their own tongue and then there was one who interpreted what the messenger was saying to the wider group. So, the gift of tongues and interpretation. If you have any questions about that, I'll be glad to talk to you. Um, I've got the, some of the explanation that I've just given you um, is in detail um, here in this, so I encourage you to pick that up and, and read it more carefully for yourself. All right, the next gift I want to talk about is the gift of administration. Um, uh, if you look in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, And God has appointed in the church gifts of administering. Now here's a good working definition for the gift of administration. The gift of administration is the God-given ability to give direction and wise counsel resulting in the efficient operation and accomplishment of goals. Um, administration includes the ability to organize people, um, uh, to organize things, information, finances. Um, often, uh, a mark of administration is the ability to accomplish things in a fitting and orderly way. Persons with this gift, with the gift of administration, have a keen eye for detail. 
they're the people that can put the nuts and bolts to work uh, to get to make sure a vision is carried out. Um, they have a keen eye for the small things, the intricate things, everything that needs to take place in order for a plan to succeed. They lead the body of Christ by steering others to remain on task. Um, it enables the church to organize according to God-given purposes and long-term goals. So you might ask yourself, do I have this gift? I love, you know, doing those kinds of things. Consider these questions. When things are poorly organized, are you one of those who gets frustrated and wants to jump in and help fix things? Um, uh, do you uh, love being able to get in and bring order out of chaos? Uh, do you naturally organize your own life uh, and schedule, your finances and priorities? Um, are you one of those where you could walk in your office and everything's got a certain place and you know where everything goes? Um, uh, then that probably is a good sign that this gift is either a primary or secondary gift of yours. Do you become energized? Are you passionate about working on tasks and projects? And do things like efficiency and promptness matter more to you, it seems, than most people? Um, you just can't stand it when uh, someone comes in five minutes late to a meeting or someone hands in a report uh, late that was supposed to have it in yesterday. Um, uh, those are the kinds of things that drive you crazy. The gift of administration is a vitally needed gift in the successful operation of a home, of a business, a church, or any other organization. And I want to just say, I thank God that we have an administrative team in this church. And over the years since I've been pastor, um, uh, God has blessed this church with people who generally have this gift. And I would say that people who serve on the admin team of the church ought to be those who seriously have thought about whether this is a gift of theirs or not. Because if not, serving on a team like that can drive you absolutely crazy. Trust me. You just take that how you want. <clears throat> um, all right, administration. Now, let me go to the last gift. Um, and that is the gift of hospitality. The gift of hospitality. Uh, take your Bible and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, here we read, it says in verses 9 and 10, Peter says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Um, a good working definition of this gift is the spiritual gift of hospitality is the ability to welcome strangers and entertain guests, often in your home with great joy and kindness, with the intent that they, you will connect, you will become friends with them, you will establish a closer relationship. Those are the kinds of things that excite you. You love getting to know people. You love entertaining them. You love welcoming them into your home or into your small group or into the church. 
um, uh, hospitality is um, supposed to include one's family. It should include one's friends, uh, uh, fellow Christians, and strangers who may not be Christians. Um, those with this gift have the ability to make guests or visitors and strangers feel at ease. They just have that way about them. Uh, she's not here today, so I'm going to pick on her. Um, uh, one person I know in particular who has this gift in our church is Suzanne Billups. Um, uh, I, there have been many Sundays um, uh, where I have looked out and seen a face that's unfamiliar, and I know that they're a guest because they just, you know, you can just tell sometimes it's a face you don't remember, you don't recall. See, and sure enough, as soon as the service is over, now she generally sits back here in the choir when they stay back here, and before I can open my eyes, before the prayer is ended, Suzanne Billups is off this platform or out of her chair back there, and she has already, you know what she's doing up here when she's singing? That's what she's doing. She's scouting for faces. She is. I'm serious. She is scouting for faces that she's not familiar with, and she's not going to let that person get out of here. But let me just say, I, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, there are some people right here in this room this morning who can testify to that, and Suzanne Billups is the primary reason that they are a part of this church today. The Giacomo's right back here. I see Brian shaking his head. They will tell you, and not only do they, does she go up and greet, she's asking them to lunch and then eventually to her house. That's the gift of hospitality. If you're that kind of person, then maybe you ought to think about how you could use your gift um, in the Lord's church. Now, let me just say this. As important as it is to invite your friends, your family, other Christians, even strangers into your home or into your circle. There is one group that Peter or um, John forbids for you to ever entertain. And it's found in 2 John verses 10 and 11 where John says, you are not to extend hospitality to false teachers. You are not even to let them in your door, John says. So that's the only exception is those who come preaching or teaching or espousing a false message. So ask yourself these questions. Do I have the gift of hospitality? Do I enjoy having people in my home? Um, do I enjoy watching people meet and have fun at parties and events you help to plan and host? Is my home the kind that most people feel comfortable being in and dropping by to visit unannounced? Do you feel that something is really missing in your life when you can't have guests in your home or you're not meeting new people? When you think of your home, do you view it from the perspective of guests who will visit? Thank God for those in the church who have the special gift of making others feel welcome and valued, whether it's in a small group they're a part of, whether it's in their home, um, whether it's in the congregation as a whole. Friend, God has gifted each one of us to help carry on the ministry of Christ. If you're a born-again believer, God has gifted you in a special way to carry on the ministry of Jesus. 
In his absence, Jesus has given each one of us something to do. Can I just say, there are no insignificant members of God's family. Each believer has a vital role to play in supporting God's vision and mission of his church. There is something that you can do in the church. There is something that everyone who has professed Christ as Savior can do here at Cornerstone. Ask God to show you your place and then um, find ways to where you can begin to use that gift. Go where God sends you and start serving. As we have seen, there is a wide range of spiritual gifts. There are at least 15 uh, gifts that are applicable to today's church that are what we call these functional gifts. Those gifts that are used to help the church and the church function effectively. Now, the question that most of us ask is, well, how do I discover my own gift? Identifying your spiritual gift is not nearly as difficult as some would imagine. I want to give you some practical advice to help you. The first thing that you must do if you want to discover your gift is begin by studying what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. Without a knowledge of what God's Word says in this area, we can easily be led um, astray. We can, we can maybe desire something that we see others doing and we can um, uh, look at that and see it as something we would like to do. As we study the Bible's teachings, we must be careful to discern God's purpose in giving spiritual gifts. For you see, if you're not careful, you will want a particular gift to bring glory to yourself, to bring attention to yourself. I'm not talking about in any, you know, bad way. It's just our nature. We want people to know what we're doing and, and uh, the fact that we are serving the Lord. But if you're looking for your gift just to do something to make yourself feel important or to make yourself um, feel good that you're using, it might be that you're looking at your gift in the wrong way. Because spiritual gifts should be used for one reason and one reason only. And that is to carry on the ministry of Jesus and through your gift to bring all glory to God. So that's the first thing. Begin by studying what the Bible says. Secondly, pray and seek God's wisdom and discernment. Ask God, Lord, what is it? I, I, I believe that you put me in this place for a reason. I believe that you called me to salvation not just to go to heaven, but like every other person the Bible talks about, I believe that there is a gift that you've reserved for me. What is that gift, Lord? And then ask God. Number three, find what you desire doing and start doing it. Find what it is you enjoy doing and start doing it. Now, you might find that as you begin using your gift, you either feel good about it, you're passionate about it, you'll see fruit from it, or 
you might discover, you know what? This really isn't the gift I thought it would be because you won't see fruit from it. Other people, that's the last one, seek the wisdom of other Christians. People who have observed you using your gift. And, and they might come up to you and say, you know what? I've noticed you are a great teacher or you're always serving behind the scenes or you're one of those people that always is welcoming new people into the church or in our small group or you're one of those who likes to get your hands dirty and you like to figure things out and you like to work at those tasks that a lot of people don't like to work at. And that might be the confirmation that you need to affirm that that gift either is or isn't God's gift for you. We're going to be continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. And when we continue that, we're going to pick up in verses 12 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. And there I want you to understand, Paul points out the value of spiritual gifts when they are properly employed. Paul elaborates there on how the Holy Spirit uses the gifts that Christ has given to us to accomplish a twofold purpose in his church. It equips God's people for ministry and it also is the instrument God uses to develop our spiritual maturity. The more you use your gift, the more you honor God. But the more you use it, you not only see that you're honoring God and being a blessing to others, but your own faith is growing stronger. Your spirituality is becoming stronger and you're maturing. And I will just say this, while the church's future, and I said this to some young pastors and interns this past Thursday, I was over at Mercy Hill speaking to their um, staff on sermon preparation. Uh, Andrew Hopper, their pastor, was gracious enough to ask me to come over and speak to their, their uh, young staff. And I said to those guys, Dennis will tell you, he was with me. I said to those guys when we were leaving, I said, guys, I want to tell you something. I don't envy you. I'm on this end of the ministry. It's been hard all these years. But what you've got coming what you're facing is going to be even harder, much harder. But while the ch church's future will be challenging, can I just say it also promises unparalleled opportunities for the people of God. The question is, will we be prepared to meet those challenges? We will if we will function in the power of God's Holy Spirit and with each individual member discovering and using their particular gift for the glory of God and for the benefit of his church. Because when that happens, I can assure you there will be nothing that can stop the church from having a greater impact from the, this kingdom having an impact on this kingdom. And I don't know any of us who wouldn't want to see that.
and then to know one day this kingdom will bow to this kingdom and this king will reign as king of kings and lord of lords and that's the one that I want to hear say well done good and faithful servant let's pray together